So we're on page um, 1047 in uh, chapter 14 of Luke. And um, I'm going to start reading from verse 7. When Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, "Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God." Jesus replied, "A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests." At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I have just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Thanks, Julia, for reading for us. Um, We're we're doing this series, um, uh, I think um, uh, Julia mentioned in her prayers, um, thinking about stewardship, um, how we uh, take and use stuff that God gives us. Um, and um, you'll see that we, um, we came up with, with four titles. What, what, what have we got? Um, gifts and abilities, uh, time and rest. Um, next week, it's money and possessions. Um, and then today, uh, it's home and relationships. Um, home and relationships, that's a funny one, isn't it? I mean, what we're kind of talking about is hospitality, um, how we use our home and how we relate to people uh, in a way that, um, fulfills um, the sort of the pattern of Christian hospitality. Um, now, you might be thinking, 
Um, that feels... Well, actually, no, do, what do you think? When you hear the word hospitality, um, what goes through your minds? Just, just sort of pause on it for a moment. Um, I suppose depending upon your generation, you, well, you might be thinking hospitality tent. You might be at a big sporting event um, and thinking, you know, uh, the Oval. They have those little hospitality boxes, don't they, up in the stand, best view, um, all of that. Uh, maybe you're thinking um, Delia Smith, um, if, you're, if you're of my generation. Um, maybe you're thinking someone much, much more recent and trendy that I've never heard, Ottolenghi. He's quite recent and trendy, isn't he? Or two of them, actually, aren't there? Um, or um, maybe you're thinking Domino's Pizza um, and uh, just a few beers with my friends. Um, and you might be thinking, well, it's all a bit tame, really, this hospitality business. Doesn't seem very significant, just, you know, trying to... So we're going to get a talk tonight about how to try and be a little bit friendlier, um, how, to, how to welcome people with a big smile. Um, is that what this is going to be? Um, I'd love to, by the time we're done tonight, I, I'd love you to be persuaded that actually this idea of hospitality um, is, is such a big theme, both of the way that God has dealt with us and the way that we should be dealing with others, that it, it runs um, just like the, like the letters in a stick of rock um, all the way through the Bible. Such a dominant idea. Um, l- let me try and persuade you of that. Um, the, the idea of, of meals and dining um, uh, in the presence of the Lord, um, I think you could, you could make an argument to say that that actually captures the very intention of everything that God has for us. Um, that eating and drinking in the presence of the Lord um, is the thing that God is taking us towards. Um, think, think about the way that meals feature so prominently. Um, You could pick up an early one, wouldn't you, back in Genesis um, chapter 18. Uh, If you know that bit of the Bible, you might remember um, Abraham and his wife Sarah entertained three visitors who just arrived um, and um, and host them for a meal. And only later does it become apparent that that, that these are angelic visitors uh, and that they have been hosting um, the Lord uh, and angelic beings. Um, and almost certainly that's the, the verse that um, the writer to the Hebrews has in mind uh, when in Hebrews chapter 13 he says, um, be hospitable uh, for some have entertained angels uh, unawares. Um, but you press on from that little, little incident um, and you begin to see that in the Old Testament the priests and the prophets and those great sort of cultic feasts that they have at the tabernacle or the temple um, are a very prominent part of what the Old Testament people of God did. This was how you gathered together. Um, you ate and drank in the presence of the Lord. Um, when, when the prophets arrive, um, they begin to indicate that eating in the temple um, isn't, the, isn't the be-all and end-all. That actually it's, that's just symbolic of something still better to come. Um, uh, what comes to be described... Um, by um, people who write about these things as a kind of messianic banquet, um, the feast in the presence of the Messiah. And the verses that um, we began with, that Darren read out from Isaiah 25, would be a very good example of that. Um, Maybe maybe you caught those, um, where Isaiah uh, writes, how does he describe it? He speaks of 
um, a feast of rich food for all peoples, the best of meat, finest of wines. Um, And the prophets anticipate this great day when there is going to be this glorious banquet. Uh, Again, God's people uh, gathered in God's presence, uh, eating and drinking uh, with him. Move into the New Testament and you see more of the same. Uh, Jesus uh, tells parable after parable, doesn't he? Uh, Which end in the idea of a feast, end in the idea of of a meal. Um, We're going to look at one of them um, in a moment. Um, But Jesus also institutes the Lord's Supper. Um, How does he want himself to be remembered? To be remembered by a meal that he shared with his disciples and a meal which uh, he wants his people to go on sharing uh, together. And again, the meal is an anticipation uh, of dining uh, with God in glory eating and drinking with him uh, in that way. You could could even say um, that the very last um, thing that Jesus does on earth is to eat and drink. Um, Whether you think of it as the the breakfast that he has by the lake um, or previous to that, uh, the meal with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Again and again, this idea of eating and drinking... um, uh, in God's presence, um, prominent theme uh, through Scripture. Uh, anyone think of the very first meal in the Bible? It comes before Genesis 18, funnily enough. Yeah, Adam and Eve. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a wrong-footed meal, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? So at the very beginning of the Bible... Adam and Eve eat a meal in the absence of the Lord, don't they? The very meal that, that they were told not to eat, the fruit of the tree of knowledge and of, of, uh, of good and evil. Uh, and they eat in his absence. And that wrong-headed meal, that mistaken meal, sets the trajectory uh, of sin and fall, uh, which needs to be undone. Uh, to bring Adam and Eve back, uh, to bring mankind back into the presence of God again. Now, you see the way that the the, the theme of eating and drinking in the presence of the Lord is a a big one through Scripture. Um, I've just done a very, very sort of of high-speed survey. Uh, You can probably think of of other moments uh, in the Bible. In other words, hospitality is no small thing. Inviting people uh, to share Um, in your hospitality, and particularly to share in a meal. No small thing. It it echoes something that is a very central idea um, in Scripture. To have somebody into your home makes a big impact, doesn't it? Um, It's no... um, I don't think it's any accident, that. Uh, I think it's because it echoes what God does for us in inviting us into his heavenly home. I think of John 14 where Jesus says, um, in my Father's house are many rooms. I go there to prepare a place for you. Um, That's what he's come to do to make it possible for us to enjoy divine hospitality. 
So with all that in mind, um, as sort of backdrop, um, if hospitality is a big thing, um, how might we... Um, how might we work out what it needs to look like and how we do it? Um, well, I think what Julia has just read in, John, in um, Luke 14 provides us with some really good pointers to that. Um, so th- there are three, kind of, three little episodes, and I want to pick out something from each of the three episodes that I think will help us. I'm going to speak of the principle or, or the attitude that lies behind hospitality. Um, then I want to think about the, the, the practice, what the sort of content of, of hospitality might look like. And then, um, finally, um, the motivation, uh, the power uh, to get on with hospitality. Um, so p- pick it up with me, and if you've um, got it open, uh, that'll help you. Um, first, then, uh, from verse 7, the principle or the attitude behind Christian hospitality. Um, you catch the scene. Jesus um, is at a, a posh meal, um, I guess maybe a little bit like a, a wedding reception for us. Um, only at this wedding reception, there's no seating plan. Um, and therefore, there's been a, a bit of a sort of undignified scramble for the best seats, and Jesus has noticed this. He's seen the way uh, that people have, uh, who've arrived early and spotted the nice seats up on the top table have, have just sort of sneaked up there and just plonked themselves there. Um, and then others have come along, looked a bit grumpy because they've missed out on the top seats, and they get as close as they can to the top table, and so it goes on. And he's seen all this going on. Um, and uh, uh, Jesus offers a little bit of advice. He says, you know, be careful. Be careful of go claiming uh, one of those seats on the top table. Because you know what might happen, don't you? It, it may be that just as the meal is about to start, some very, very important person arrives um, after everyone else has taken their places. And the host thinks, well, this very, very important person, they've got to be on top table. Uh, and they look at you and they say, oh, sorry, up you get. Um, sorry, I, I need your seat. Uh, and you stand up and, and it's all embarrassing because everyone's looking at you now. And you look round, desperately trying to see an empty seat. And then you spot one right over there, uh, far corner, slightly drafty, by the gents. And, and then you have to walk in front of everyone all the way. You know, the sort of the walk of shame. Much better, Jesus says, when you arrive at the dinner party uh, or the wedding banquet or whatever it is. Go sit by the gents in the corner. And then when the host arrives, he'll spot you there and say, oh, for goodness sake, what are you doing there? You shouldn't be sitting there. Come, 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 come. Come sit here, up the front. And then it's the walk of glory instead of the walk of shame. Now, in a sense, Jesus is just playing with them. He's just sort of teasing them, isn't he? Um, It's kind of just uh, silly, practical advice um, for how to avoid being embarrassed at a wedding reception. But tucked behind this practical advice is a spiritual principle of huge significance. You see how he lands it in verse 11? Uh, When having given this little example, uh, he comes out with this phrase that he uses time and time again in the gospel accounts, where Jesus says, all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And you realize that what he has just described that alternative of you try and get the best place and you get humiliated, go sit at the back. Or, or you take the least place and you get exalted, come to the front. 
that, that sort of little visual picture is, is the spiritual reality of the way in which God deals with us. In relation to God, one of those two things is always going on. Either you and I are humbling ourselves, in which case we are in the right place to find spiritual blessing, or we're exalting ourselves, in which case we're in danger of being spiritually humbled. That is the way that things are spiritually, Jesus is saying. And it makes it a critical issue in hospitality, doesn't it? Because it, it will determine the way that you go about doing hospitality. If, if you are someone who wants to exalt themselves, who wants to um, be terribly impressive, um, who um, wants to be in the in crowd, uh, wants to have all of the, 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 the best kind of friends then when you come to doing hospitality, you will invite all the people that help you with that sort of self-enlargement self sort of project. You know, who gets me in? Who will it be impressive to have meals with? Um, how can I advance my career uh, by inviting the right people around? Um, how will people uh, look at me and think, oh, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're really trendy and, and with the right people? You, that's how you'll think when you're thinking socialising if you're trying to exalt yourself. Um, but a humble person thinks other people are more important than them. That's, that, that's kind of a, quite a, a good working definition of humility. You esteem other people above yourself. So uh, the humble person, when they get to doing hospitality, will be thinking to themselves, how can I bless other people? How can I use my hospitality to, to look after other people? Because they're more important than me who I would like to have round and what sort of an evening I would like to have can take second place to um, how can I look after uh, other people who I think of as more important than me. That there's, the, there's the attitude, the, the, the kind of the principle that sits behind hospitality. Now come to a second heading. Uh, uh, what does this mean in practice? Um, let me read from verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, do you see what Jesus is doing here? He is expanding this idea of hospitality hugely. You know, we thought it was just about sort of, you know, evening dinner parties. Um, and now we realize that he has something much, much bigger in mind. Um, we need to, need to understand that hospitality in the first century was um, a much more um, um, integrated part of first century culture. Um, I'm not much of a first century historian, but I, but I think I've got this right. Um, which is p people traveling was a pretty dangerous business um, in terms of being robbed think of you know Good Samaritan and so on um, uh, and, the, and the, the man on the road to Jericho um, it was a dangerous business um, and people didn't do a lot of it um, so therefore um, Travel Lodge had not yet set up its business because there wasn't a lot of trade you understand um, so if you arrived in a town, um, 
you, you were a bit of a loose end trying to find somewhere to stay. Uh, you know, there weren't great franchised sort of chains of, of, of cheap hotels. And by and large, often you would be relying um, on local hospitality. Um, you would depend upon, uh, woven into the culture, the expectation that if you found a stranger in your town, um, you might explore the idea of uh, providing them with hospitality, if that's what they needed. Hospitality would mean inviting them into your home, them staying. Um, I'm told that there were, um, there were fairly strict rules in both directions, and you, you didn't stay more than two nights. That was your job. Uh, as the guest, don't outstay your welcome. Um, but there was an expectation in the culture uh, that people would invite you into their home. Now, do, do you see that, that? That's a kind of pretty different kind of deal of hospitality, isn't it? You just, you know, you meet somebody uh, and uh, absorb them into your house for a couple of days who you've never met before. And it, and, and it kind of explains why the word that is used in the New Testament for hospitality um, um, is uh, Philozenia. Um, why is that helpful, you say to yourself? Well, um, maybe you've never heard that word before, but you've probably heard the word Philadelphia before because uh, it's the name of a city in the States. Well, Philadelphia means love of brother. Um, but the New Testament word Philozenia um, and Xenia means stranger, like um, um, uh, xenophobia, um, which is sort of, you know, sort of, fear of the alien. Um, well, the word philozenia, love of stranger, is the word that we translate in the New Testament as hospitality. That's what it was. Um, it, it's a much sort of more demanding, more challenging idea um, uh, than you know, a kind of a Delia Smith evening. But Jesus pushes them further. Not just love of stranger, but love of outcast. The poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Do you see that this is radical hospitality? This is hospitality to those who you'd never imagine offering hospitality to. Um, it could get expressed in all sorts of ways, couldn't it? Um, let, let, me, let me whiz through a, a few examples of what this kind of hospitality might look like. Um, you could, we could begin with church, couldn't we? Um, if Christian hospitality is love of the stranger, I'd be surprised if, you know, Sunday by Sunday you don't pitch up here and there aren't some people who think that they're a bit strange. Um, probably you do, don't you, really, if you're honest. I mean, you pretend you don't, but you know, they're, they're strange because they're not like you. You know, you love sporty stuff and they don't. Um, uh, you know, you left school at 16 and they're doing a PhD. Um, you're quite old, they're quite young. You come from a particular cultural background, they come from a different cultural background. I mean, there'll be people here who are strange in the sense of they're not quite like you. Um, well, hospitality would mean not selecting out people who I think I'll probably get on with them. Um, it would mean being willing to, to, to want to socialize, uh, to want to provide hospitality to people who are a bit different uh, to me. Could start there, couldn't it? Um, how about the moment in the service where sometimes we say, um, uh, why don't you just chat to the person next to you for a few minutes? 
Um, that's a moment for hospitality, isn't it? Um, that's the difference between uh, perhaps somebody who's uh, arrived here for the first time, never met anybody, um, and uh, either um, you're the person sat next to them and you give them a friendly welcome, uh, or you ignore them and turn the other way. Because the other side's someone that you know and you quite like. Um, that too would be um, an expression of love of stranger. How good are we at that? How sure are we as a church? If you, if you think of this as your church and you come regularly, how confident are we that Sunday by Sunday, uh, when somebody comes here who's never been here before, um, they would never ever leave without somebody greeting them and spending time having a little bit of a conversation with them? I fear that that probably does happen. Um, and uh, it would be a very poor expression uh, of our hospitality as a church. Um, um, or push beyond the boundaries of the church. What about your neighborhood? Um, uh, what about um, the people who live in your street? The only thing you've got in common with them is that you live in your street. They seem so different to you. Um, perhaps you're a Christian, um, and as far as you can tell, they're not. Uh, they do a different job. Um, uh, they seem to, uh, to be different to you in so many ways. Um, hospitality to your neighbors, inviting people into your space, into your home, make a big impact, wouldn't it? Um, maybe it would happen to you at school, um, if you stood at school, and, and you know that there are some people um, in your class or in your year group who just aren't the cool kids. They're the ones that nobody really spends any time with. Well, love of the stranger uh, would mean caring for them, wouldn't it? be distinctive, might be quite costly. Other people might make fun of you for it. Um, but I think that would be consistent uh, with what Jesus is talking about here. Um, or, or how about internationals? Um, if uh, you're from here in the UK, um, then maybe it's internationals who you would think of and recognize as strangers. Um, and so coming along to the barn here on a Thursday night and being part of a team that hosts and cares for internationals, that would be an expression of Christian hospitality, wouldn't it? Um, or pitching up to the railway station, international student welcome about to start, isn't it? Um, where people will arrive, um, big bags, um, maybe not great English, maybe the first time they've been uh, out of their home country, um, first time ever in Cambridge, a little bit bewildered, and Christian hospitality would be a face behind the international student welcome stall um, with some information, with an invite to a, uh, to a tea later on, um, providing uh, a first point of contact. That wouldn't be an expression of Christian hospitality. Um, uh, or, or how about um, the way that we think about refugees? It's been a big thing, isn't it, in the news over the last few years? Do you think Christians ought to be at the forefront of responding to the, the hosting and settling of refugees in, in response to, to what Jesus is pressing on us about Christian hospitality, love of stranger? It's something radical, isn't it? I've, I've just given you a, a, a span, a kind of a, um, a brief... Um, um, uh, one pass over all sorts of different ways in which this might get expressed. It, it, it's a big thing uh, to, to love the stranger 
uh, to move towards those who are not like us, uh, who might not be uh, in our sights. So what would persuade us? Uh, what would move us to do that? If that's what it is, um, what will motivate us? Uh, we'll come to our third heading, um, the power uh, for Christian hospitality. Um, someone at this dinner party, in response to Jesus talking about the resurrection of the righteous, um, says, oh, blessed, blessed, all oh, blessed are those who will eat in the, uh, at the feast in the kingdom of God. And I think it is, I think it's a bit of a pious kind of, you know, sort of puffy statement um, sort of thing we preachers do all the time. Um, sort of sounds nice, but doesn't really mean very much. Um, we're guilty of that. Um, and I think, that's, I think that's what this sort of slightly puffy statement from this man is. And Jesus pushes back straight away um, and uh, does one of those very unsettling things, uh, this time in the form of a parable. Um, let me just read it again. A certain man, I'm in verse 16. A certain man was preparing a great banquet, invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who'd been invited, come, for everything's now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. First said, I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. So the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Um, we could happily camp out here for, a, for another hour or so. Um, it's a famous and very rich parable. Um, let me limit myself just to this, um, which is to recognize that what Jesus is saying here is that the only people who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God are those who never expected to be there. The only people who get to eat at the feast in the kingdom of God are those who never expected to be there. Um, you remember um, the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount? Um, blessed are, dot, dot, dot. And the very first one, blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, uh, I came across someone who, who reckons that you, you could call this parable Luke's equivalent to blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, because in a sense, what this, what this parable is saying is that those who will be blessed, those who will eat at the feast, are the poor. The poor physically, the poor socially, the poor materially, and above all else, the poor spiritually. Because the people who get in, the people who are in the feast in the kingdom of God, are the poor in spirit. They get in. If you're poor in spirit, you get in. If you're middle class in spirit, you don't. Do you see that? That's the difference, isn't it? See, the middle class in spirit are the people who tend to say something like this. They would say, listen, I know I'm not perfect. But I'm not that bad either. 
I'm not the best I could be. But I'm not awful. I'm kind of in between. I'm kind of middle class spiritually. And I think a middle class spiritual person will, will, will look at the invitation that Jesus has given them to the banquet and they'll say, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. I might be interested. I might like to find out a bit more about that. That sounds as though that could be a good evening. Now, tell me more. But oh, things are a bit busy now. Um, job's demanding. Yeah, just coming up to a set of exams. Got a relationship, just got him going. I'll pass, actually. I'll come back to it later if that's okay. You see, you would do that if you're a middle-class person, spiritually. But the spiritually poor, the spiritually poor are the person who senses, I have to. I'm starving, spiritually. It's not a question of, am I interested? This is an invitation to an event that is just out of my mind. That I could, that I could be there in this feast. I think the reason that the servant, when he goes out, um, and we're told he has to compel them to come in, uh, and he brings them in. He doesn't, doesn't sound as though he invites them. He sort of compels them in. I think the point is, oh, well, I don't know. I, my, I, I just have a wonder if the point is that the reason that they need compelling in is because they're thinking to themselves, now you're having me on. It's, you're just, it's a joke, isn't it? Because I'd never get in. I mean, you know, I know, I know who this master is. I know the kind of banquet he holds. You know, you, you're, just, you're, just, you're just teasing me, aren't you? You're just making fun of me telling me I've been invited to that. And the servant says, no, no, no. No, 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 he means it. No, honestly, he really does want you there. Believe me. He said, he told me to come to you specifically. He really does want you. And so you go, and you sit down, and you gaze round at the banquet, and you pinch yourself, and you say, how could this be? How could I be in a place like this, enjoying food like this? How did this happen? You know the question that I've got to ask, don't you? I need to ask you, just as I need to ask myself, what, who am I? Am I middle class spiritually? Or am I poor? in spirit. How amazed am I as I gaze around at the blessing that I have received from Christ, at the provision that he's given for me? Am I astonished? Did I feel like pinching myself? How did this happen? Or am I more likely to be gently thinking to myself, well, yeah, God, God did well picking me out. I've got a lot to offer. That's the difference, isn't it? I know I'm not perfect, but you know, but actually, I bring quite a bit to the table. A spiritually poor person uh, gazes in astonishment at what they have been given, and the spiritually poor person 
because they have experienced this astonishing divine hospitality, it is driven to offer hospitality to others in imitation. That there is no more wonderful host than Jesus, is there? You, know, you think about him. He receives us into his very presence and he even washes our feet as we enter in. He supplies us with white garments because he knows we haven't got the right clothes uh, for the banquet that he's invited us into. Jesus is the humble host uh, who himself has left heaven uh, to come to earth uh, in order to make it possible for us to enter in. And Jesus uh, welcomes the stranger, uh, you and I, who are rebels against him. Uh, And if some of the things I was describing earlier about Christian hospitality, the idea of, um, of welcoming the stranger, Um, If some of those sounded costly, then just pause and think of the cost that divine hospitality paid for you to enter in. Um, Jesus left his heavenly home and he said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, son of man has no place to lay his head. He became homeless for you. On the cross, he became alienated and excluded for you. He, he gave up his home so that you and I could have a home. He was pushed out so that you and I could be brought in. Nothing else will provoke in us a desire to love the stranger like this gospel will. See, everyone would say, well, it's a nice thing um, to love people who are not like us. Yeah, most people will, will approve of that kind of behavior. It's not a distinctively Christian thing, is it? Um, to, to, you know, to be hospitable and kind and welcoming. You see it in all sorts of cultures. Lots of people would commend it. But only the gospel provides this driving force. It's only Christians who realize the way that they have been treated and humbled by the way that God has dealt with them uh, move out towards others uh, in love of stranger. Those of us who are Christian believers tonight have more reason than anybody uh, to provide hospitality uh, to others. Um, Let me pray uh, that we might do just that. Uh, Father God, um, you have treated us uh, or you have dealt with us uh, with a love that is um, beyond our comprehension. Uh, That you, our creator, you, the the author uh, of uh, the universe, uh, you would um, step out of glory um, and uh, step into the squalor of a borrowed stable. And uh, you would uh, even uh, step uh, up onto a cross in our place. Um, How you have um, loved us, uh, the stranger, and brought us in. Uh, Please, 
enlarge and expand our sense uh, of having been loved in such a way um, and allow uh, uh, that, that spiritual reality uh, to drive and affect the way that um, we uh, move towards others um, in uh, Christian hospitality and love. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Darren.